It's condensation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and on this episode, we have another installment of Winning the Job. This series is made up of interviewing people who have recently won an audition and asking them, what made you successful at this audition? First up, we have Ansel Norris. Ansel recently won the second trumpet position with the Naples Philharmonic in Naples, Florida. I was able to get in touch with him, and we started the conversation with me asking him, what do you think was the difference for this audition? Was there some change in your preparation or mental state? Let's see what he says. Uh, well, I guess I do think there's a mindset change. Um, uh, but I also think it's like simpler than some sort of dramatic shift in my approach. I, I always, by chance, I guess, felt relatively comfortable playing auditions. But I just, and sometimes I even play well. I thought I played well. Um, and I didn't, you know, I would advance or I wouldn't make the finals or something like that. I never made the finals before. And uh, for a long time... I told myself a story that because I, I thought my playing was kind of different than mainstream and uh, Barbara Butler obviously told me that, Charlie told me that, and uh, everyone I played for would tell me some variation of that. So I kind of let myself think for a while that I wasn't advancing because I was different. Um, and I think that was the sort of story that was very satisfying for my ego. Yeah. And satisfying for my sort of self-righteous desire to be an individual and artist, and and that uh, there's positive qualities in that. But the thing that's funny is when I came back to Rice and I started working with Barbara, I just realized it wasn't that I was different; is that I just wasn't playing well enough. <laughs> and I know that sounds funny, but Barbara, you know Barbara. I mean, she doesn't mess around. Like she doesn't. She's like honest. To the point where it almost hurts sometimes. Yeah. And then you check yourself and you're like, she's here to help me. Right. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Absolutely, I do, yeah. And she just basically says to me, no, I hear what you're trying to do, but you're not selling it. And and that was, you know, it, when I say a mentality change, like, there are a couple of things that I kind of tidied up. Like, my articulation didn't have enough pop and life to it. it Articulated playing was not as good as my flirt playing, and uh, and I needed to feel more confident in a couple of excerpts. But uh, really, I mean, once I had that on the table and I was just being really honest about everything, um, really honest about where I was at and what I needed, then the rest was just practicing. And uh, I've always liked doing that. Um, having Barbara was really helpful. Uh, recording myself a lot was huge. Um, and I'll get to that more, but um, I feel like ultimately it was more just the the knowledge that I needed to be better. Um, yeah, not yeah. that I was different, but that I, I wasn't there yet. Um, and then consciously being very honest about what wasn't there and, and then working on it every day. And then I felt like by the time I got to the audition, um, I was confident and I felt that this could be the one, and I went in with that that mindset, and uh, thankfully it was. So, 
say, do you think that's because of your preparation or you just, even if you felt like maybe you hadn't practiced as much, you still could have walked in with that kind of mindset because I guess it is probably related to preparation then, isn't it? Because she was basically like, if you're not good enough, then you did the work to, to feel like you were good enough. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting because I always felt like my mindset was really good. <laughs> so that's why I would get frustrated after an audition. I wouldn't win. Because yeah, I'd be like, other people are telling me, oh, I can't play an audition. It's so nervous. You know, I, I can never put to, put it together when I'm on stage and that sort of thing. And I'm out here like, I don't struggle with that. What is wrong? You know, I, I realized that I'm really lucky in that regard. And so I kind of just felt like, well, guess it must just be different. <laughs> you know? And, yeah, uh, yeah, interesting. I, I just realized it was that I was afraid to try hard enough to win because – I was afraid that if I tried hard enough to win and then I didn't win, that maybe I just didn't have it. Yeah, that's I think. And so this time I actually, this time I actually tried for real. And it's not that I never tried before. Of course I tried. I always wanted to win every audition I went to. But there was another level that I never went to, and this time I went there. So would you mind expanding upon that a little bit? If there are any concrete ways that you mean you went to a different level? From the very first time I started working with Professor Butler, um, she always <laughs> insisted that I have a plan um, for every every moment of every excerpt, and not just a musical plan, but a physical plan, like knowing what I needed in every moment and um, sort of standardizing the way that I play it so that I can come in with no warm-up and play. Like, it's just so in my body and in my mind. Um, and I was very resistant of that because I, I'm not a big thinker, uh, when I play, um, I kind of play how it feels, um, and for better, for worse. I mean, it, it, that means there's more hot and cold up and down kind of stuff, but it also means there's a lot of spontaneity and, you know, interesting moments. And I'm, I'm very attached to that. Uh, right. And so, but, but the thing that I realized when I started working with Barbara is that that was another story because I wasn't doing the work. I wasn't preparing as, as intensely and as focused and as deeply as like if you prepare deeply and you have that spontaneity like that's the next level of playing sure but if you just have the spontaneity and you pat yourself on the back like oh i'm so creative but then you don't execute then it's nothing it's worth nothing and she just helped me take each excerpt and like actually think deeply about what i wanted out of it and play it all the time for tons of people record every single time i play it always be listening Checking, it's not that I'm listening because I always want to be nitpicky about every time I play it. It's like, am I doing what I think I'm doing? Am I doing what I want to be doing? And the answer in the beginning is usually no. And it's not, it's not a process that happens fast. It happens over the course of a long time. You slowly move closer towards what you think you're doing or what you want to be doing. And that's when I say preparing more deeply. It's like, you don't pick it up a week before the audition. I mean, unless you have already mastered all these skills, then it's different. But if you're starting from the beginning like I was, then it takes a long time. And I started working on it in August, and the audition was in October. And that's not to say I was hitting it every day or hitting every extra every day, not like that. But I started thinking about it in August and trying to connect with the music and trying to make it mine. Yeah, so that's the difference, I think. So you're clearly, I know you well enough to know that your technique is more than good enough to play every excerpt basically that's going you're going to be asked to do 
besides recording yourself and doing like mock performances of it, what kinds of things were you doing in the practice room when you were ironing out the little kinds of details? Well, you know, Professor Butler has these sort of what my friend Dan Egan calls the golden eggs. <laughs> um, she has her sort of her main things. You know, she has the magic three, which is uh, the idea of connecting the sound of a slur with the sound of her articulation, like uh, going from the basic quality of a slur and trying to create a similar resonance on the articulated passages that you get easily with a slur. That That's one of them. And then the idea of the time point, which is like the sort of natural point of emphasis in every phrase, the place that the phrase wants to breathe or wants to energize, creating momentum. Because, I mean, a lot of times when we play by ourselves, what, what I notice is um, it, it's more work for us to create a sense of, of groove because it's completely up to us. There's nobody hitting a snare drum when we're not playing. You know, it's just like it's up to us to create it. So using the sort of natural places of emphasis in the phrase, um, and and then the magic three thing is a long process, uh, and it has to be revisited every day on everything you do because yeah. it's not just like I did the magic three and now it's great. Right. It's like, no, I literally in my head before I played um, Heldenleben E flat solo. I did the Magic 3. I did the first two of Magic 3 in my head before I played it on stage. Oh, wow. And then I played it, and it was totally full of air. You know, like yeah, that's the yeah. sort of thing where it's an ongoing process. And what I thought was really crucial, and this is where it's helpful to have a teacher, but you can do it yourself if you if you listen and record yourself a lot. Um, it was really helpful to have her because a couple of weeks before the audition, I was playing, and I was like, sounding okay and pretty good, but I just felt like, I don't know, I don't know what to do next. So I was just doing mock auditions, because I'd worked on like I said, I worked on them since August. So I'd gotten the sort of technique side of it out of the way. And then once I got to school, I was like, ready to go, you know? Then I had a month and a half. And yeah. that's when Professor Butler, two weeks before the audition, was like, all right, no more mock auditions. From now on, every day needs to be you. You know every spot in the music that when you think about it, you feel a little bit like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. when you think about it, you're like, ooh, I don't know about that spot. It's like you know if you think about an excerpt, you know what the spot is. Right, right. And my project for the last two weeks was every day straight there. Um, like no more lying to yourself or telling yourself a story about how this or that's going to go. You just go straight there and just be honest, be real and just sort of expose your vulnerability and attack it every day. Um, yeah, just attacking not your weaknesses, with a, yeah. Yeah, and not with, like, a anger or a fear, but, like, with a sense of caring and a sense of uh, the big picture and um, a lot of self-love and forgiveness because that can obviously be a pretty taxing process emotionally to just constantly go straight in <laughs> yeah, the right. worst thing you do. right. Um, but you're so much better for doing it, right? If you're willing to get if you do that, it, if you're willing to put yourself in that space, you get so much more out of it, I think. Like I said, it's like the, that's the next level of just like the practice room is no longer just a place you hang out and play trumpet. It's like a place you go to challenge yourself mentally and emotionally and physically. And it, I really feel like if you practice right, like when you're done, you feel like invigorated. You feel like you worked out. Right, right. Like you got something done. And like you got something done. Like you you can go on to the next thing in your day and feel like, 
like you feel good. You feel that kind of energy, you know? I'm definitely a long, uh, I'm guilty of the long, lazy practice afternoons, and I can do that. You got kids now. You can't do that anymore. I can do that. I'm in school. So I can, like, sit in a practice room for four hours and, and just play on and off, drink a coffee, watch a basketball game. Um, so I'm definitely guilty of that, um, but I'm learning uh, every day that the more I try to treat the practice as a precious time, the better. Yeah, I'm, I'm all about practice efficiency right now and how to get the most out of it. And, and I've come to that same conclusion. Obviously, I got a lot of it from, from Barbara and, and my undergrad teacher, Michael Anderson. Just talked about, yeah, attacking your weaknesses. So like you said, it's kind of a – I like the way you talked about it, where it, it can be draining and it can be exhausting to keep going there because eventually if all you're doing is just sounding bad all the time – you start to feel bad about your playing, right? You're like, oh, I don't sound good. Right. But I think the way to sort of get around that is to just play everything. You know, if you struggle with playing Petrushka, maybe the middle section where it slurs upwards, if you just play it at a slow enough tempo where you could do it perfectly, at least you could do say, it right. I did that do perfectly. Right. Yeah, right? Or play it in a healthy way, whichever way you want to talk about it. I feel like then you can have a place to start building where every single repetition is a great repetition on it. And you start to have like even a healthier uh, mental space with that thing that used to be, like you said, the spot you wanted to avoid. You kind of turn it into a positive. Well, you know how uh, Barbara would always say, you can take your weakness, your worst weakness and like turn it into a strength in the eyes of other people if you do it the right way. Yeah. Like you, if you work on it the right way for long enough, like something you think is a weakness will begin to see seem like a strength to other people. Right. Um, and I, I was just thinking the other day, we're playing Zarathustra right now, and the other day uh, one of my colleagues said to me, like, you know, I love how your soft articulation sounds. You're always so good at that. And I was just like, man, if this person could have seen me in the beehive in Northwest, you know, right. like sputtering sputtering through Arbens, I, you just laugh. It's like, oh, my God, I can't believe somebody said that to me. Um, and it's because, I mean, it's just because of that, because it was, like Barbara said, you find your weakness and then you feast on it. Um, and I've just been feasting on that for a long time. So That seems to be a key, yeah. I think, to auditions. It sounds like you would agree that uh, doing well at an audition is obviously showing up your strengths and having strengths, but maybe even an absence of weaknesses as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, I, the thing that bothers me about the way that people talk about auditions is the idea that auditions are, what do they say, like a crapshoot or like anything can happen in an audition. And I get that. I mean, to a certain extent, if you play, play your absolute best and you think you could have a job and you don't, like, that's sad. And I get it. Go have a bourbon and go to bed and wake up and practice again. But if you're saying it's the auditions are totally random, then you never sat on an audition panel because right. how you play will always be represented. If you go in and have a bad day, it's not because God hates you. It's because you weren't consistent enough. Yeah, it is representative and, of your playing. Yeah. Yeah, that's part of it. That's part of your playing. If you go in and you can't play high on something, then you got to be better at playing high before you can have that job. And right. that's another just taking ownership of it and like really making it something you're proud of to to go in and feel no fear of one of those spots in your exit where you're like, oh, I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and it, it's like you said, if your playing is solid, then they're going to know. And yeah. And if not, I, they're going to know. I think that's bottom line, yeah. And I, I've gone to some auditions recently and felt like 
my playing was very solid and the audition, you know, I didn't advance out of the prelims and, and I basically, I still hold that I play well, you know, and that one didn't work out, but obviously I have more stones to uncover, you know what I mean? Um, and yeah. ultimately it's kind of a nice thing if you want to look at, I think if you want to look at, at auditions in this way, but it's ultimately a nice thing to take an audition to find out you have places to improve, right? Because then the process of yeah. improving doesn't stop and it can be viewed as it's a It's like positive. finding a little gift. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't I, think I've ever taken an audition th- that I've regretted losing. I've never lost an audition and felt afterwards like, I got nothing from that. This is a waste of time. I should have won, you know, that sort of thing. I've never felt that. I've only ever felt, okay, I know what's next. I know what I need to do. I yeah. know what I can take from this. Yeah, yeah, which is always so. invigorating, right? You were talking about leaving the practice room invigorated. Wouldn't it be incredible if everybody left an audition invigorated to get better? Yeah, yeah, it would be. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me, man. It's really good to catch up with you. and No worries, man. Hear how I'm glad you're doing you well. Are. Yeah, I will uh, talk to you later. All right. Bye. All right, bye. I've known Ansel since my first year of grad school. He was a freshman at the time, and I remember during our first solo class at Northwestern, the one where all the new players in the studio played, he played the Jolive Concertino. (laughs) He's always been a gifted, but also incredibly hardworking trumpet player. I was so happy to hear about his success, but I also found it really amazing that even for a great player like Ansel, the audition road isn't always a straight line. He had to learn many of the same lessons others have learned, but ultimately, the reason he was successful is he was not afraid to take a hard look in the mirror and see where he could improve. Next up, we have Joe Lefevre. Joe recently won the principal tuba position with the Kansas City Symphony. We began with me asking him, how did you prepare for this audition? Here's what he said. I usually have a, a pretty, I guess, intensive plan that, you know, I, I have. I'll, I'll sit down as soon as I get invited to an audition. I'll sit down and kind of plan the way I'm going to practice for the you know, six to eight weeks leading up to the audition. Um, so a lot of it involves, uh, you know, the first part is kind of like taking that everything at, at a half tempo and that sort of thing, and then gradually working my way up to, uh, you know, full speed, um, playing with drones, uh, did a lot of that, and, you know, listening to the excerpts over and over again and that sort of thing. And, yeah, I also enjoy kind of playing along with the excerpts, you know, playing with a with a recording of of some sort and just trying to, you know, kind of I guess get the the uh feel of the music and, and kind of be in the moment in that certain you know, for that certain excerpt and, and try to uh visualize, you know, the mood and the, the energy uh that you have if sure. you're playing in an orchestra and then try to recreate that when you're just playing alone. Um so I'd say that was pretty important. And then also, too, I think probably two of the most important things that I did was recording 
lots of recording, like, you know, a couple weeks worth of recording myself and just listening back and critiquing myself and taking notes. And then also doing mock auditions and taking lessons with, with people, specifically, you know, people that would intimidate me, you know, kind of get me a little nervous and in that, uh, uh, you know, kind of performance mode. And uh, definitely playing for people who don't play tuba, because I think, you know, the big thing, it's different for, for some instruments, but you know, in my case, for tuba, there, there will never be another tuba player on the committee. So, you know, you're playing for trumpet players, you're playing for string players, and, you know, all kinds of instruments. So it's nice to kind of just play for those uh, people and, and get their thoughts on things. So. Yeah, that sounds pretty smart, actually, play for the people that are going to be listening to you, yeah. Um, you had mentioned uh, recording just a second ago. Um, what mm-hmm. kinds of things were you listening for with recording? Were you listening for time and pitch or like musical commitment? Or did you have, were you listening for different things at different times? Like kind of how did you break it down and what what kind of did your notes look like when you said you took uh, notes on that kind of stuff? Yeah, so I think it kind of varies, you know, as the, the more you record yourself and the closer you get to the audition, you kind of change what you're looking for. Um, so, yeah, I'd record myself, and, and I, I always like to uh, I like to keep everything online and, and, and in order on my computer. So I'll, I'll put like a Google Docs sheet together and and you know take notes on my my excerpts in there. But uh, anyway, I guess you know at first when you first start recording, you're going to notice um, you know this is probably I would say. A month before the audition, you, you notice yourself, uh, you know, a couple time slips here and there, some pitch issues, and just kind of the basic things. So probably about a week or so of, of just trying to fix, you know, the, the small things that have to be there. But then, you know, the, the more you start to record yourself, and again, the closer you get to the audition, the hope is that uh, both, like, time and pitch you have down so solid that you don't even have to think about it anymore. And now you're starting to get into the, you know, the accents, the articulations, <clears throat> things like that. And then once you get those in place, then, you know, you're looking for phrasing and for, you know, style. I think that's kind of the, you know, those two things are, are probably the most important um, once you're, you know, tidying up an excerpt. And, and so, uh, you know, it's kind of a progression of what you're listening for as you, get closer to the audition and, and, uh, you know, again, the, the goal is to kind of early on in your process of, of listening back to these recordings is you're, you're focusing on the basics. So, uh, you know, once you fix those, you don't have to worry about them at all anymore. They're just so ingrained that it's just automatic. And then, you know, you can add stuff on top of that. Um, so it's kind of, you know, Different different times, uh, you should be listening for different things and, and just trying to progress and, and build on um, each uh, each thing that you've already worked on. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I kind of like how you said it too that it's like a progressive thing, so that um, you should basically start with the building blocks of what makes a musical phrase, you know, like time and pitch and stuff right. like that. And as you work that out, then then you start to hear the actual phrase come through and then you can kind of deal with that as it starts to come through. So with the actual audition itself, um, was there anything interesting about the audition? Did it run pretty smoothly? How do you feel you played? And was it the best you've ever played in an audition? Was it kind of the same and it just worked out? What kinds of things do you feel like were interesting? (laughs) Yeah, well, I think uh, this audition was probably the best run in terms of, you know, logistics and everything. And, uh, 
the, the symphony here does a really nice job with organizing everything. So it was a very relaxed and, and uh, you know, relaxed environment, and everybody knew what was just happening when you were going to play, where you were going to go, and all that stuff. Um, so, uh, I, you know, that was that was nice because uh, some auditions and, and, you know, some other auditions I've been to, it's kind of a, uh, you know, you never know what you're going to get. And right. sometimes you really organize, sometimes not so much. Yeah. Um, so so I think that, you know, that's, that was a big part of, of what helped me feel good. And, yeah, I think my, my prelim round was probably the best I had the best prelim round I had played, I felt pretty confident about it. You know, obviously there's going to be some things that you wish you had back. Um, but overall, I felt like I did pretty well. And, and, you know, I was in a good mental state, which was probably um, probably the best mental state I was in um, in terms of just feeling confident and, you know, being able to take the nervous energy and switch it around and make it into positive, uh, you know, performance energy, that sort of thing. And, um, so that went well. Semifinals, though, was kind of a different story. Um, yeah, because it was semifinals, I took a, a little more risk in my playing, and you know, a couple things didn't quite uh, go my way. Uh, so I, once I finished my semifinal round, actually, I, I almost uh, packed my tubas up and took them to the car because I thought I was going to get home. <laughs> nice. Didn't feel good at all, uh, but uh, I ended up slipping through, and. Uh, you know, at, at that point, it's just, you know, whenever you get to finals, it's just, you know, you're excited, you're, you didn't think you'd get there, and everything is just, you know, you're so thrilled that at that point, it's just fun. So, you know, I, I kind of had that mindset going on stage for finals, and, you know, at, at that point, it's it's not a matter of, you know, everybody can play the excerpts, you know, that now it's just a matter of, are you the person they're looking for that's going to fit in with what the, what the committee kind of perceives as their tuba player or their, you know, whatever, whatever you play. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, finals went, went well and, and, you know, that was the, the time to really let it show on the, the solo and that was the goal. And fortunately things ended up working out. So I was also going to ask, yeah. you kind of mentioned, um, you said because it was semifinals, I took some more risks. Uh, I guess that, means you sort of prescribed the idea that maybe you play the prelims a little bit differently than you might play the rest of the the audition that might play it maybe a little more safe or whatever word you want to put there do you do you agree with that this is kind of, it's kind of a tough situation um because a lot of people will say you know you go into a prelim round and, and all you have to do or all you should do is just play in time and in tune and you know i think that's important but throughout the entire audition you know, the, the goal is is that our, you know what you're doing is making music. Like that's why you're here in the first place. Um, so I think that's you know making music and and making phrases and and all of that stuff is is should be at the forefront of any round. But I, I do think you know once you get into the semifinal round and especially in finals, I think you you are at that point where you're able to just show a little bit more of yourself. Um, as a player and you know whether that means yeah I know for uh, you know for example for tuba players there's a, a specific excerpt Symphony Fantastique um, where you know at the end of the, the last page there isn't a high B flat written in the part but you know if you've got one and you can go for it then then why not uh, yeah. so that's kind of an example of you know in the first round I probably would play it safe but if you make it to semis or finals you know if, 
if you feel pretty confident about that, you know, hitting that, then why not go for it? Um, and I think also too, um, especially in like a solo piece, I mean, that's, you know, once you get to semis or at least for tuba, it's usually in the final round. And I mean, that's when you can really pull the stops out and you can really tailor it to how you want to play it rather than, you know, kind of playing it what's totally written on the page in terms of, you know, tempo marks and, and, you know, taking time and, and giving time and that sort of thing. Um, so I think there's just a little bit more freedom to kind of, you know, again, show the type of player you are and, and, and show the type of musician you are in the later rounds. You had talked about, um, you know, your mental state being positive and feeling good. Um, I kind of wanted to touch on that just a little bit before we wrap up. Um, how important do you think the men, you know, your mental state is to your success? And do you feel like it's just related to preparation or do you think you could do, um, specific mental work and how beneficial have you had any experience with, you know, doing stuff to try to actively improve your, your mindset or anything like that? Yeah, that's, you know, that's always kind of been something that I've been after is the whole mental side of things. Um, you know, like I said earlier, when you get to these auditions, everyone can play these excerpts. Now it's just a matter of, you know, who can make more music out of it and who is in, uh, you know, a, a mental state that's, you know, good enough to keep them from making as, you know, from making too many mistakes. I think that's kind of the, the big thing. Uh, so I'm, I'm always trying to find ways to, you know, get in the zone. And, and I like to, there's a couple books that I've read, you know, Don Green books and, um, some other things about centering and, and just trying to find different solutions and different ways to fight that mental battle. Cause that's probably been one of my biggest struggles is trying to figure out what works well for me to get myself in the zone. So, yeah, I think that's kind of a never, you know, you got to practice the excerpts obviously too, but you also have to practice how to get yourself in the zone to play those excerpts the way you want, want to. Um, so that's a big part of, uh, you know, practicing for an audition that a lot of us leave out, I think, and I'm definitely guilty of it too, but the more you kind of flex that muscle and, and, and work on it, then the easier it's going to be down the road just trying to get into a good mental state and being ready and in the zone to play. What kinds of things were you doing to flex that muscle, to use your words? Um, was it through the excerpts, or did you have other exercises that you were working on? Um, so I would do a lot of uh, centering, which is a technique that kind of gets you to breathe deep and, and get your heart rate down. And um, Don Green is a big proponent of, of centering. and um, So that helps a lot. Usually what I would do is once I got closer to the audition date, um, yeah, I'd go like run a run a lap around the building or something, or or go do fifty jumping jacks and then you know center, you know, because I got my heart rate up and it's racing, which is simulating what it would be like as an audition. And then I would do my centering to get my heart rate down and get in the zone and and uh, get ready to play. And then I would play a round of you know I'd say six excerpts as like a prelim round and record myself and then listen back and see how I did when I was under pressure. Um, so just trying to like take myself through the entire process of not only playing the excerpts, but what I'm going to do to get in the zone. I think that's a good technique is to, you know, obviously, like I said earlier, you got to practice the excerpts, but you also have to practice how you're going to get in the zone. And, you know, that adversity training or 
um, you know, running a lap around the building and then going go to play excerpts is a good way to kind of, you know, practice that. That's pretty cool. Uh, I've not heard many people talk about doing something physical like that to sort of simulate the necessity, like you said, to have centering and to bring yourself down to, like, practice that part of it, too, so that when you get to there, you're not thinking, right. okay, now I have to center myself, but it's all been theory until now. You actually gave yourself a way to practice that, too, so you'd be ready. Right, and it'll never be exactly, you know, obviously it'll never be exactly what like what it is in an audition, but at least you're getting yourself close to an area that, you know, you're you're uncomfortable, now you're trying to get yourself comfortable, so. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I appreciate you talking to me for a little bit, man, taking your time out of your day. Uh, it's all really, really good stuff, and um, thanks again. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. This is awesome. All right, man, we'll talk to you later. All right, sounds good. See you later, man. All right, bye. It was a pleasure to speak with Joe about his success in Kansas City. It's clear that he has taken the time to find out what works for him in his preparation. As I mentioned toward the end of the interview, I thought it was really cool that preparation for an audition didn't stop with just playing his instrument. He wanted to treat every part of the audition as something that could be prepared for. Both of the players in this episode also talked about how important the mental aspect of preparing for an audition is, and I would definitely agree. Congrats to Ansel and Joe, and thanks for letting me take some of your time to put this episode together. I think that's going to be all for this episode. You can find my website at thatsnotspit.com. You should definitely make sure to check it out. Also, make sure to check out the blog post for this episode, as there are some links to check out, as well as a Spotify playlist related to the players we interviewed. Thanks so much to Ansel and Joe, and I'd also like to thank Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering this episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.